0: My, my TLDR is, it's a nothing burger, in my
1: opinion. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today is Sunday, July 10th. I'm Eric Planey.
0: I am Lucas Finco.
1: And on a beautiful summer day, we are the Pirates of Clean Tech. Yar! Arr, so I just realized something. This is our 49th episode. We have the big 5-0 next week. But I just celebrated my big 49th birthday. So mm. there's some symmetry going on here. Uh, I love it.
0: Oh man, we'll have to go out. You didn't tell me about this. We'll have to I'll take you out.
1: I've got the best birthday in the world. I am on July 3rd when they actually wrote the Declaration of Independence and signed it. But I always have the next day off, which is great. <laughs> in my twenties, in my early early days, that was fantastic. Now I just sleep in a little bit more. Yay. <laughs> Lucas, how are you today?
0: I'm good. It's a beautiful Sunday. We got to wrap this up so I can get out and work out. So
1: I just got done with a long bike ride, so I am quite exhausted. Uh, but I am, in the spirit of it, wearing my Team Norwegian Kishka cycling shirt. <laughs> fellow pirate Jack Eiley and myself uh, started this charity for MS rides. Uh, we ride for multiple sclerosis at least once a year. And I uh, hope to get it again going this year. So uh, that's always fun. Um, a lot going on. We have a lot to cover today. But I think we should give a shout out, first off, to our listeners. Mm. Especially as we did some numbers over the last couple of weeks and realized that our, our listening ship or our listenership, is that even a word, has gone up substantially over the last few months. And we're averaging, what, about six, 7,000 listeners an episode right now?
0: So, yeah, our numbers are averaging about five to 7,000. Give or take, you know, it's an it's estimate it fluctuates quite a bit. So we have a lot of listeners on Apple Podcasts. So welcome, Apple Podcast listeners. We appreciate you uh, joining.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know our last episode, episode 48, we had a fantastic guest, Katrina Stanislaw, talk about ag tech, fintech, and I'd like to say clean tech as well. Uh, she was great. Uh, we got a lot of good feedback. We got a lot of people saying ag tech is something, you know, that they haven't thought about. And now it's starting to grow with them as well. So... Really appreciative, and next week or our next episode is the Big Five O, and you know, knock on wood, we may have a very special guest for that episode uh, to really celebrate not just what we've been doing on Pirates, but what you all have been doing as practitioners in the clean tech industry. So it's really going to be a great celebration of everything that's gone on over the last couple of years.
0: Yep, we're really appreciative of everything um, our listeners have been up to and have been doing and making an impact. It's certainly needed now more than ever, so we need to double our efforts and uh, work even harder.
1: Yeah, exactly right. So uh, so before we get into our episode and our articles, we don't have a guest today, uh, let me do the old disclaimer, views and opinions expressed by Lucas and I are only those of Lucas and I, and uh, uh, not any organizations we are affiliated with, and uh, any public companies we speak about, public securities that are related to topics we talk about. Please do your own independent research and use a professional advisor before making any decisions on securities purchasing related to uh, anything we speak about today.
0: You want me to go first?
1: I think you've got the big dog discussion, you know?
0: Yeah, okay.
1: And like I say, I just got out of the shower. I'm enjoying my <laughs> Hudson Valley Angry Orchard crisp apple cider. I think you're being a good boy tonight because you're going to work out.
0: Yeah, I'm just drinking water, so I'm ready for my workout.
1: I am uh this is my post workout cider and thank you angry orchard.
0: Uh you want to go to the big one? We we'll, we can start with the big one, right?
1: Let's go to the big one. Mine mine will be speed round.
0: So, I was a little frustrated because I was looking for information on the Supreme Court decision on uh the EPA West Virginia versus EPA the clean power plan. I could not find good information. So I literally had to go find the decision itself from the Supreme court website. They'll have the link below Supreme And I found the decision very readable. So you don't have to be an attorney to read it. At least I didn't have to be. Um, it's very readable. It's written in plain English. There's a lot of case references, but whatever. Um, uh, so I found it readable and it was the only way I could really get a, a good clean answer on what the heck is going on. So I guess my <laughs> my my TLDR is it's a nothing burger in my opinion. Uh it won't even in my opinion set precedent because what? the the clean power plan it turns out was abandoned by the Trump administration uh and it was challenged in court it was challenged in court like immediately and never even went into effect and then the EPA abandoned it years ago anyhow. And then when Biden came in office, they decided not to pick it up. They're going to come up with a new rule. So this entire decision is about something that's not relevant, not in application, has been abandoned, has already been, you know, kind of put to the side by the courts. Uh so the the precedent they're setting here is they have nullified a administrative rule that nobody's using and nobody's paying attention to and it's already been abandoned so there's your precedent in my opinion so in the future if there's a administrative rule that nobody's using and uh nobody wants to use and uh, nobody's challenging um then they can use this as a precedent so I, i think that's big for me that's my big takeaway in my opinion it's total nothing burger you can argue you can get mad about it there's no point in getting mad about it in my opinion you can just just don't bother um yeah so let me get into some details uh, no, this does not mean that Congress has to reauthorize the EPA to regulate CO2. Uh, that I think that was incorrect reporting. Uh, the Congress authorized the EPA to regulate CO2 in 1990. I think that's something I've been mad about since 1990. That is something you can be mad about. Uh, And they reaffirmed this, actually, in Massachusetts versus EPA in 2007. The Supreme Court said, yes, 1990 was the congressional mandate. So no, whoever was saying that, no, this does not mean that Congress has to reauthorize uh, the EPA to regulate uh, CO2. I personally didn't like the Clean Power Plan anyhow. So (laughs) uh, to say the Clean Power Plan is now struck down, it's like, well, okay, fine, I don't care. They um the the way I had it explained to me is they set the limits just above natural gas generation. So it was a it literally was a kill coal and support natural gas um plan. And you know, I used to call it the natural gas power plan, not the clean power plan. And it never ever went into the fact and the EPA abandoned it. Uh they used something called the best system for emission reduction. So I would have to get into this. this. This brings up the whole concept of the administrative state. And so what that is, is Congress can't make every friggin' regulation and rule, and they can't write it out explicitly for every rule. They just don't have the capability to do that. So Congress sets the goals. They have a big act that sets the goal, like we want to reduce CO2. And then they give it to the EPA and they say, you make the rules. You hire a bunch of experts that know what they're talking about, and know what they're doing and you make the rules. So that's this administrative state that people talk about. So that to me is where the argument is. That's the whole arguments in here. When Congress said this, they did not mean that, uh, you know, to come from the EPA. So that's the basic argument here. The argument that they made was that this best system of emission reduction was basically generation shifting. That's what EPA said. And the Supreme Court is saying, no, you can't do that the traditional view from the EPA is that you have a building with a pipe and there's some emissions coming out and the EPA can make a rule regulating how much comes out of that pipe. That's not what they did here. What they did was try to generation shift. So they tried to reduce emissions by using less coal generators and more natural gas generators and more solar and wind. So they're saying that was an overstep. You're not saying how much can come out of my building anymore. You're literally moving you know loads in the electric grid and that was an overreach so that's that's their um that's the argument against and now uh i also went down to the um the dissent to get the other side and i was also kind of disappointed because he starts with a uh, climate change lecture which i don't think has anything to do with the law like i didn't come here to get a climate change lecture but i mean if you want one um so that was a little upsetting too And then, you know, basically the dissent is easy because, um, yeah, uh, basically everything they argue about is in the purview of the EPA and Congress did mandate the EPA to regulate CO2. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, there's enough holes in this whole thing that it's basically meaningless, in my opinion. It's a total nothing burger. It can't really set a precedent, in my opinion. So, yeah, I just wouldn't get upset about it.
1: Wow, that's uh, you're packing in a lot there. And you're kind of going against the grain, right? Because, you know, I read an article yesterday where Scientific American was interviewing Christine Todd Whitman, probably the most famous EPA administrator. Uh, She was under George W. Bush. And I think she was, this was after she was already first female governor of New Jersey. And she was saying straight out that this is a setback for the EPA's ability to regulate and that this is a political decision. You know, this is not uh, something that, is a nothing burger, and she didn't use that word. I sat there when I didn't, know. I didn't read the decision, but I have done my reading. And I talked to a couple of good friends, including some pirates uh, from, from the past. And it sounds, your point, Lucas, about really it's about regulating within the four corners of the plant. And I think that's even a phrase that may have been used. And so they're just simply saying, you can't really, the EPA can't go beyond those four corners. So the question I have is, is this something that is clearly uh, an issue that Congress can rectify by passing legislation to expand and broaden EPA's regulatory powers? You know, effectively, but I, I worry about that because Congress in general over the years wants to have nothing to do with that type of regulation. That's why they created the EPA in the first place, along with Nixon. So what is what is the remedy here? Like what will, what will happen yeah. over the next couple of years?
0: Well, another beauty thing about the Clean Power Plan was that the um the states and the industry moved in that direction anyhow. You know, so I go back to the argument I used with the Trump administration is they're just making themselves irrelevant. They're they're saying that they can't even figure out or they want to get in the way of anything out of Congress, and they're just making a giant mess and a ridiculous mess of things that the states and the cities and the industry are just gonna do it on their own and then say forget. The federal government, well, what are they doing? They can't even get their stuff together. We're going to have to do it ourselves. And now, you know, why bother with D.C.? Don't even bother.
1: Yeah, but you know what? <laughs> it's time. No, no, no. no. I, I get it. Look, you know, and Jim. the Supreme Court, I think one of the problems that people are having with the Supreme Court, I don't care if you're conservative or liberal, is on one case, they're handing power to the states. And in a case three days later that a decision are coming out, they're saying, no, this should be a federal decision. So in this very perilous time in which we need to be acting all together to get to very significant climate goals by 2050, is this a ridiculous speed bump and a bunch of noise that we just don't need right now? That's what I take away from this. Yeah. You know, okay, great. Hand it over to the states or hand it over, you know, uh, give it back to Congress. Well, maybe Congress is going to, you know, continue to be Democrat uh, majority and that they are going to empower the EPA to do more. Right. Uh, You know, why would we just take, at the worst time possible, all the issues on climate action and regulation of emissions and just throw a huge monkey wrench into things right now? And that's where I'm very upset about SCOTUS. I don't think SCOTUS has a clear-cut direction one way or the other. They just want to, like, it it seemed to me it's more political than it should have been. And so I don't think even SCOTUS should have even had a ruling on this. They should have just let the EPA do their thing. That's that's my personal opinion. Yeah, I can agree with that.
0: Yeah, I can I can agree with that. I wouldn't call it political even, I would call it special interest. You know, there's some fear that there's some outside influence on SCOTUS, you know, and, and this is a good case of that. It just looks like it's the coal industry, you know, funding mud throwing. And and, you know, it is clear that coal got decimated under this plan. Um, but they ended up getting decimated anyhow. So yeah.
1: It's funny. It's funny about uh, the interview, and maybe we'll put it up anyways, the Christine Todd Whitman article in Scientific American. She had a great quote. She said when she was EPA administrator, she felt a successful move by the EPA is when she pissed off both sides of the aisle. Because <laughs> when she pissed off both sides of the aisle, she's like, I'm doing something. <laughs> and this claim, this clearly didn't piss off one side of the aisle. Exactly <laughs> acted by SCOTUS. So um, I'm, I'm worried about the precedents it sets. I think it sets us back slightly. I do agree with you that I don't think that this is going to be as impactful because the will of the American people are totally on board about climate change. And I wrote a little piece on LinkedIn about this. Uh, The will of the American people are now all in for addressing climate change because these people are seeing it. They're seeing the once in 5,000 year hurricane, flood, wildfire, you know, tornado. It's happening every five years now. So when people see it this way, they want to address it. They know that the smokestacks are emitting stuff that shouldn't be in the air, and somebody's going to have to take care of that. So as someone that lived in China in the mid-2000s, where you didn't have an EPA that you know we've seen over the last 30 years that actually regulated and created the strength of resistance to you know polluting our skies, uh, I want the EPA to stay empowered. And I hope that Congress wakes up and counteracts this move. Um even though it may not be as strong and as impactful as, as people are in the press are saying,
0: yeah i mean uh, yeah, i mean <laughs> what do i want yeah i i want c o two regulated as a pollutant right so this this does set that back well just if the e p a can find another way that makes it you know more defensible legally then maybe they can get around this still. Um, the precedent I don't like here is that the, what you just said, the Supreme Court just does whatever. There's, it almost seems like there's no rule of law. There's no logical legal argument here. It's just, like we said, special interests in politics. This is, but that's not what the court's supposed to do.
1: No, the court is supposed to be above all that right now. yeah, I think that's Correct. what I'm worried about. Um, you know, I'm going to go off topic, but there was this great episode of the West Wing years ago where There were two vacancies at one point, and the president who was Democrat, decided to placate his conservatives in Congress by bringing on an incredible intellect conservative and then the new Supreme Court uh, Chief Justice was going to be an incredibly powerful, intelligent woman who has this great track record in you know case law and in you know making these great arguments so you know the whole thing was let's raise the bar of the Supreme Court by bringing in this intellectual firepower we're not doing that right now; we're just picking mm-hmm. some. We're just picking sides right now. It's pretty bad,
0: you know. You said, yeah, you said it. I didn't say. It. <laughs> um,
1: Matt so then- Damon. When Matt Damon and his parody on SNL of a certain Supreme Court justice sounded as intelligent as the Supreme Court justice, yeah, I'm a little bit worried.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So I guess this is this is kind of what I thought. Uh, what I was thinking about when I said we're in the middle we're In the middle transition, right, and things start to break, um, so this is a little bit of a setback, but this is like you know these are shots fired in the in the uh, middle transition period, and this is kind of what I was thinking like regulation, how are we going to do regulation, how are we going to manage the grid, things like that those are the kind of things I thought were going to break um, in the in this middle transition however we 're seeing much more um, affronting. Uh, things happening in the middle transition, so I'll bring this one up. This was from the Wall Street Journal. Um, France is going to nationalize their their power company, EDF, to help it combat Europe's uh, energy crisis. Okay, so this is not, <laughs> <laughs> you know, this and the fertilizer riots in the Netherlands. Okay, these things I did not envision when I said things are going to start breaking. Um, so that's gone a little too far, in my opinion. We, we can't just take 30% of, you know, the farming output away overnight. We can't do that. You know, I didn't expect major power companies to need to be nationalized. Um, so this is a little too much breaking, in my opinion. This is not what I thought was going to happen. This is not what I meant when I said things were going to break. Um, so, wow, this is, this is scary. Um, oh, it looks like I'm on the wrong uh, browser, but... This kind of stuff is scary I, I didn't expect this to happen this is this is things breaking
1: what what scares me about this is how bad does it have to be that the French government has to nationalize the utility or EDF as a company in order to make it move faster? When was the French government known for moving fast right i mean this that's scary. When is any government known for really moving fast on something? Yeah. With, with, you know, major exceptions like the moonshot in the 60s, et cetera. So, but at the same time, maybe we got to look at the positive of this, which is France and the EU are taking climate change seriously. They're taking the UN 2050 goal seriously. So maybe this is a shot across the bow that's needed for others to wake up and say, we got to get moving. I, you know, the sad thing is, I mean, this this article, this news just got drowned out in the headlines. Yeah, I don't think most people in the industry even saw this article this week. Yeah, I know Everything else going on, and like you said, the Netherlands uh, rioting. My God, what is that all about? Yeah. So I think it's kind of sad. This really did get kind of drowned out, and um, uh, but maybe it'll pop up in, over the next week or two as the mechanism takes place and the nationalization takes place. Um, yeah, so-
0: and France even has nuclear. So I don't know. I don't know. The the prices are just swinging. I guess because they're connected to areas with a lot of natural gas generation that's getting taken offline
1: we may have to talk a lot about europe on our next episode because uh uh i saw an article and i only saw the headline but you know i speak a little bit about eu here in a little bit but it sounds like germany is going to be uh turning off all its nuclear mm-hmm, yeah it's awesome final decision is made and i just happened to have breakfast uh over the holiday back in my home state with somebody who was heavily involved in a major German industry. And he was telling me that those German nuke plants can are are renovated and they can go forever. They can hmm. go another thirty years. Hmm. So we, we got some issues here, and we'll talk about. It. But great article. I, I'm glad you brought this up, Lucas.
0: Well, I had heard that they were asking German citizens to conserve energy already. I'm like, how's it gonna be in the winter? Oh.
1: Well, I was gonna say maybe that's not bad to like get the mindset changed now so that in winter it's not as drastic, right? So you could look at that in two ways.
0: Yeah. Okay, that's me.
1: So I actually have five articles, so I'm going to go a little bit on the speed round. Okay. But, you know, we just had a lot to talk about. Uh, CNBC, Climate Policy, Europe will count natural gas and nuclear as green energy in some circumstances. This is published from this past Wednesday, July 6th, uh, by Catherine Clifford. Uh, great article here. Again, this is something that I think is worth having the debate on. Uh, you know, natural gas in terms of power generation and nuclear energy, I think in terms of existing nuclear, I believe, uh, it will be counted towards sustainability goals now you can argue, and this article brings up one statistic I think that <clears throat> you know natural gas being burned still actually emits carbon, and I think it 's like fifty eight percent fifty eight and a half percent of the level of carbon that's burned versus coal so it 's certainly true. an improvement, but it 's actually a little bit more than I think what most people think. Also, you have to be very careful with uh, the way natural gas is extracted because it does also have uh, methane emissions and methanes are actually like you know car- um, how do you say uh, you know greenhouse gas on steroids so Correct. carbon capture has to be or methane capture has to be a big thing at the source of the uh, mining or the extraction but i actually think this is a good thing um personally i and i will talk about this in another article you know in order for us to be smart about what we're doing if we've got an existing assets that are not generating carbon shutting those down right now at this time in which our grid is really on um, you know a very interesting situation it's in transition itself so having stable sources of uh, Carbon-free generation, like nuclear, less carbon generation, like gas versus coal. These make sense for me. I think simply you just got to start putting deadlines in, saying that you know it's going to count as it's going to count towards uh, you know sustainability goals for the next five years, for the next seven years, and then we're going to wean ourselves off this transition fuel, right? Um, yeah. I think that's the way to do it. I think U.S. should look at that too, because you know I remember back when post Fukushima, Europe was turning off its nuclear and turning on its coal. So all these countries that signed the Paris Climate Accords were actually uh, increasing carbon emissions, where the U.S. at the time had not signed Paris Climate Accords, and uh, our natural gas uh, generation was supplanting coal on a market-driven basis, and mm-hmm. our carbon emissions were going down. Right. So there is an argument to be made about gas. Uh, you know, Again, I, saw, I, was, I, I did economic development in the middle of a shale boom in the Ohio PA area, so I saw the job creation and you know, it's what it did for a well-being standpoint. So I am a little bit more pro gas than probably the average green person. Again, it's a transition fuel. So that's why I wanted to focus on this article.
0: Yeah, uh, the aligns right up with uh, the Clean Power Plant. So yeah. Yeah, agreed.
1: Okay, uh, this one I believe is uh, local from WBUR out of uh, Massachusetts. Now, uh, full disclosure, I am a CEO of a clean energy startup based in Massachusetts. So this was a personal interest to me. What to know about Mass's new 2025-2030 clean energy and climate plan. Massachusetts, what I really like about that state, and this is shameless brown nosing to state officials, uh, they they set targets that are achievable. And also, because they're smaller in resources versus, say, a New York state or a California, I feel they don't overextend themselves. They set practical targets and they try to execute. So, you know, again, this was like looking at, um, you know, their existing portfolio of carbon emissions and the majority in the state i think is is transportation related 37.9 percent um so i think they said they need to get up to something like a million uh, electric vehicles on the road by 2030 to start having a dent uh you know they're not near that task right now they're not selling anywhere near the electric vehicles and now with the supply chain shortage so this uh they this program that they put in place is setting Practical state-line targets by 2025 and 2030. I think they had drop emissions by 33% off 1990 levels by 2025, 50% by 2030. Um, In 2020, they said state emissions were down 31.4% from uh, 1990 levels. But again, that was a little bit because of the pandemic, slowed the economy itself. So some just carbon generation that was offline because of the slowing of the economy probably did come back online. So that is not a straight-out statistic that gives you hope. There's going to be some noise in that. Uh, You're scrolling right now, 2025, the state said they need to have 200,000 electric electric vehicles on the road and 15,000 public charging stations. Again, by 2030, they want to have 900,000 EVs on the road and 75,000 public stations. With only 51,000 EVs on the road currently, they got a long way to go. Mm -hmm. You know, I just like this article, I guess, before going into like line by line detail, on electric vehicles specifically, again, where we are making a mistake is that a lot of OEMs are going all in on electric vehicles right now. There are going to be battery shortages, material shortages. I still think that we should be putting out hybrid vehicles and they should be adopted better by the green community. I think the green community has shot themselves in the foot by not adopting hybrid vehicles. Like Mm -hmm. your uh, plug-in ones, like the Chevy Volt, your, uh, you know, non uh, your HEVs, like the Toyota Prius and like the Crosstrek that I drive those should have been adopted better and faster because you can stay away from the gas pump, get better mileage, smaller batteries that can be spread out among more cars. And that would have been the way to go. So we got to get better folks about thinking about, we can't just be all in right now. You know, we have to be all in, cognizant of where there are resource constraints over the next five years so that we're better aligned to hit the targets by 2050 that we really need to hit.
0: Totally agree with you. Yep.
1: Okay. Uh, This one is actually a press release, but there's a lot of articles on it. Uh, and honestly, this one, I almost want to have a conversation uh, unto itself. Blackstone Group, big, large private equity firm, announced $400 million investment in expansive, leading global carbon and environmental commodities exchange platform. Again, this is from July 6th. Uh, what I like about this is, you know, in, we need to set up the green infrastructure behind the scenes from daily life in order for us to start hitting targets. We've talked about having cap and trade system in place in the United States that really hasn't taken place, carbon caps, et cetera. But you need to also have the platforms in which companies can buy and sell and trade those so that on a net basis at the end of the day, people are actually starting to see reductions in carbon emissions by companies. But also, they're also having some sort of bridge techniques, if you will, to help them get to the limits they need to. And having the type of uh, company like Expansive in place uh, you know, and having a big investment by Blackstone who can scale it up quickly makes a lot of sense. Uh, they're quoting a, a friend, and old contact of mine, Bilal Kong, senior managing director, who's done a lot of work in the energy space globally. Uh, you know, he recognized and they recognize that environmental commodities are a critical new asset that must be scaled exponentially. Blackstone's the type of uh firm that can do it. They talked to uh Dave Foley, who's the head of global Blackstone Energy Partners, who says very similar. Again, this is the unsexy stuff that happens behind the scenes that really only Wall Street seems to understand, uh, along with some of the more sophisticated energy emitting companies or carbon emitting companies. These platforms need to be expanded. So it's good to see investment going this way.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I've been highly critical of net zero. I've said everybody can't be net zero and still emitting. So, you know, you're going to have to have a cop on the beat. And so, I mean,. Who better to crack heads than Wall Street, right? So hopefully they can be well, kind of a cop on this beat too.
1: Well, I love. I agree to your first point on the cop on the beat. I'm not sure most people are going to agree with your phrase. Who better than Wall Street? <laughs> <laughs> different, different kind of cop, I guess. Yeah, we're not going to. I don't know. We're not going to edit that out. But you're not going to get. I think a lot of people sign off on that one. All uh, right. But I think there has to be definitely some oversight in this. And I think like it's heading in the right direction. Um, but good luck to Blackstone on executing on it. Um, hope to talk to them yep. soon. Um, Forbes uh, clean energy jobs are booming. You hear that word? Booming. Booming. Making up for rising fossil fuel unemployment. Uh, mm-hmm. This is actually a little bit dated. This is from June 29th. Well, not too dated. No. But this one really caught my eye. And just scrolling through it, there's some great data points um, that, of course, I didn't write down. But when I reread it this morning. You know, overall energy sector jobs rose more than 4% in 2021, adding more than 300,000 jobs to reach more than 7.8 million in total energy. Okay, so that's everything. But within that, and that actually outpaced the job growth in non-energy sectors, but yep. nearly 3.1 million of total energy jobs are in net zero aligned industries, comprising 40, composing 41% of total wow. energy jobs. Isn't that amazing? 41% of total energy jobs are now aligned to net zero. And that's renewable energy, grid technology, transmission distribution, energy storage, nuclear energy, biofuels, efficiency, and electric vehicles. Now, it's amazing about electric vehicles, because five years ago, a guy working on an assembly line at Ford making you know a, uh, a cargo van is in a green energy job. But now he may be making a green ener- uh, electric van, and that is a green energy job. So just that simple transition by one of the OEMs, automatically switches that job into a net zero or green energy job. That's fantastic. Energy storage, we're seeing that booming. Transmission and distribution, you can argue whether that's really green, but if you're making a more efficient system, I would argue that's green. So this is just really good news. And we're quoting Secretary of Energy Jennifer Granholm, who was just talking about these jobs are so critical for the buy-in. And she doesn't say this, but I think she meant to say, for the buy-in by the American people, when they know that your neighbor is actually working in a green energy job and they're making good money, that's great. Yeah, uh, So I'm really happy about this.
0: Wow, yeah, those are huge numbers. It's really impressive. So really, really happy to see that.
1: I think, and I think it's this article that was saying that, say, for example, in California, uh, I think the average um, green energy job was maybe $90,000 versus 61000 for average job in, in California. So that's some serious buck, you know, above the average.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: Cool. Uh, See, this is my last one, I think. You know, we are the Pirates of Clean Tech, so why don't we talk a little bit of tech? Uh, We've talked about this a little bit before, uh, but July 6th, again, this must have been a date that everything came out, World Economic Forum, article entitled, Are Underwater Turbines the Next Big Clean Energy Source? And I know that we've talked about tidal technology and wave technology, but when you see, if you actually watch us on YouTube, and none of you actually do, uh, but when you see us, this photo, of these incredible like powerful wind turbines that looks like something out of the empire strikes back right these look, <laughs> like, these look like something that would be on cloud city but they yep. look incredibly powerful sitting on an ocean floor here and these turbines, you know with very like very strong stationary units if you will to hold them in place all lined up in a grid formation taking advantage of movement and currents um i think this is great because i think this is not disrupting anything in nature like you know Hydro can be criticized because it disrupts the flow, natural flow of rivers and and et cetera, et cetera. But when you have a title like this and when you have underwater wind turbine technology, I think it's worth exploring. And so I thought this was a really good article. Um, I recommend people to skim through it. Uh, You know, I think they're talking about if you can skim really quick, Lucas. Mm -hmm. Because I can't remember the phrase that, but like the Department of Energy is actually putting a lot of money into this. And I think they actually call their, their research system sharks, uh, which is one of their underlying turbine technologies. So you got to give them some shout out for coming out with this. Uh, I think one of the systems is called Manta, uh, but they think they can get to like electricity below, you know, five cents a kilowatt hour uh, under a couple of these systems. So that's pretty amazing. You know, given that it would probably take some serious capital expenditures to get there, but um, I love this article. Uh, I actually do recommend people to click on the link for the podcast uh, to look at the, like the visuals The visuals are incredibly stunning. Uh, this is some James Bond, excuse my French. This is some James Bond shit we got going on here. Uh, and I think it's really cool. So great, great way to end our articles for today.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm a huge fan of tidal. We've had tidal experiments in the East river, New York city, and the power has just been off the charts, which has been incredible. So there's a ton of power there and it's totally predictable. If you know when the tides are, you know when you get that power so if we have power when the sun shines and the wind blows and the tide comes in or out i mean we're doing pretty good right there so
1: i understand east river though in new york city how how does tidal work with all those like you know uh, cement chewed mafia bodies in the bottom of the river jesus right don't that you know don't they interrupt the tide a little bit no eric no just saying you know we've Sad to say, man, we've had a lot of uh, TV mobsters pass away over the last couple of weeks. Ray Leota, James Cain, uh Polly from uh, Good um, from The Sopranos. See you. So, you know, rest in peace, all our, our television mobsters.
0: Well, thanks for joining us for another episode.
1: Yeah, this is great. Uh, Lucas, uh, at least for the time being, why don't you tell people where, where they can find us?
0: Yeah, so we're on about a dozen different podcast sites, so you can search for Parts of Clean Tech, and you click subscribe or follow, uh, and then you'll get updates on when our new episodes post. We're also on YouTube, if you want to follow along on the articles with us, uh, again search for Parts of Clean Tech on YouTube, click subscribe, and then click the alarm bell so you get the notifications.
1: We have a LinkedIn page that we're never really using, um, but we put, post some articles on there. So you know, reach out to us, let us know how we're doing. Uh, again, we're so happy about our numbers, and really, it's because of everyone listening. If you're listening to us. Uh, it really does say that you're a catalyst for making changes in the future, right? Uh, We'd love to take credit for our incredible banter and conversation and as if we're like really cool guys to listen to, but we know that's not true. You're actually here for the content and uh, we're so appreciative about that. So keep it up and keep spreading the word because that's what we try to do on a daily basis.
0: Yep, this is the spot to be, to be up to date on everything that's happening in Cleantech and uh, we love being on this journey with you. So thank you.
1: And stay tuned. Episode fifty is going to be a good one. we yeah. just to pull in that big whale of a guest that we think we can pull in.
0: <laughs> you better let the ink dry first.
1: <laughs> Let's. We got to get the ink in the first place. <laughs> Anyways, with that, I am Eric Planey.
0: I am Lucas Finko.
1: We are always indebted to you as the Pirates of Clean Tech. <inaudible> <inaudible>